Thanks for tuning in to the meditation conversation. Hop on over to karagoodwin.com. You can get a free 10-minute guided meditation right on the homepage to help you experience deep levels of peace. I also have lots of resources to learn meditation and to support your practice. And of course, by supporting those services, you are supporting my work, including the production of this very podcast to assist more souls on their path to awakening. Thank you for your support and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the Meditation Conversation. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and today I'm really excited to be joined by Tanya Painter. Tanya is a naturopath, and she's been treating women with chronic migraines for almost a decade. Having suffered from chronic headaches herself for nearly 20 years, she has a God-given calling to help women find a way to manage their migraines more effectively. She's the founder of Migraine Mastery, which is a 24-week online program designed to significantly reduce migraines and help women better manage their symptoms so they can move beyond just surviving and get back to doing what they love. So welcome, Tanya. I am so excited to explore this really important topic. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So I'd love to hear a bit about your journey because it sounds like you started down the path of traditional medical practice and then turned into the naturopathic path. So what drew you to naturopathy? Yeah. So, you know, the the plan was always to become a doctor. Ever since I remember the moment that I was just fell in love with the human body and learning about it was in the fourth grade, my fourth grade health class. And um, and ever since then, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. And the, pl- the plan was always to go to med school and then, you know, go practice, maybe at a hospital. And as I continued to grow and kind of expand my understanding of, you know, medicine in general, but also um, I started suffering in, when I was 16, I um, was rear-ended in a car accident. And then I started suffering from regular headaches, um, which then kind of progressed in severity and chronicity to becoming every day. And then I, they would, you know, come into to migraine flares. And, um, and then you know, I, I went down all the path of trying all the medicines and everything, nothing worked. Uh, and it wasn't until I started kind of branching out and understanding, okay, I know there's something more that's going on that's causing this. So what is going on? And I started digging and that kind of took me away from the traditional, you know, conventional medicine route and more into naturopathic medicine, because that's where I was starting to really learn about how the body is working all together and all of the different things that can play a role in my headaches and, um, and then one thing led to another and I just, I fell in love with that particular kind of medicine. And so that is kind of how my trajectory changed a little bit. And I went to naturopathic medical school and I've been practicing ever since. And I absolutely love it. Oh, that's amazing. And I mean, so it, it was through your own healing journey really that things started to fall into place. It sounds like. Yeah, I remember actually having a conversation with my mom one day when I was in the process of applying to medical schools. And she's like, have you heard of this naturopathic medicine thing? And I was like, what? And that was before it was more well known. And um, so I looked into it. And that's exactly what I had been doing for myself as I was kind of exploring and kind of trying to figure things out. 
And so it just was right up my alley. I, I never was a fan of taking medications. I didn't, my body didn't tend to respond well to them. I'd get all kind of weird side effects and they didn't help as much as other people said that it helped them. And I just felt odd. I felt like the oddball, right? And and so then this was the kind of medicine where I was looking at different options that was nutritional, nutraceuticals, you know, supplements, um, herbs, things like that. And I loved it and it was amazing. Um, so yeah. Oh, that's, that is amazing. And so you, I think you just probably answered this question, but I love, like you talk about an integrative approach to migraines. So is that, is that what you mean by that? Where it's like, it's nutrition and it's supplements and it's like more than just the, you know, let's fix the, uh, the symptom. Right. And get to more, how do we get you into balance in that way? Yeah, the, the one of the problems that I see, especially when it comes to migraines, since that's my my area of expertise, is you know the the neurologists they're amazing, right? They know the brain inside and out; they're aware of all of that. But when it comes to the gut symptoms that that same person is experiencing, they're like, well, I don't know, go see the gastroenterologist. And then when you talk about, well, I'm having a lot of skin issues and, you know, itching and that kind of, oh, well, that's the dermatologist. So go see that. And so it's very, you know, chunked out into systems, but our body doesn't work that way because our gut health is very, very closely tied to our brain health and our skin health and our immune health and, you know, all of it. So that when we're looking at migraines and, and working on migraines specifically, um, it's very important to take in the whole body as a whole and treat all of the different areas that we know. I mean, we have so much research about migraines. We know that, you know, we know how serotonin affects the brain, but we also know that the gut is now responsible for making, well, it's not now, it's always been, we just discovered that the gut is what yeah. makes the majority of our serotonin. So you can't have a problem with serotonin regulation and address it from the brain. We have to go to the source, right? We have to address it from the gut which involves gut healing and inflammation. And that comes back to diet. So there's a lot of dietary stuff to it. But then on top of that, there's also the genetic component, right? What is your body made? You know, how does your body make and process these different neurotransmitters? And so then we look at some of the genetics involved. And we know that through epigenetics, which is, uh, we understand that, that we have the ability to, to turn on and turn off genes and how they function. We can't change the genes, but we can change how they function in the body. So that needs to be playing a role. And so there's all these different areas that we have linked to migraines as contributing factors. And so if we're not addressing all of them in, you know, our patients, we're not getting them the relief that they need because the balance, their their body imbalance is still there. That's really what we need to get to in order for them to start feeling relief from their migraines. That's amazing. I mean, I didn't know that serotonin comes from the gut. That's yeah. incredible. About now, serotonin plays, say it again. About 95% is made in the gut. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not in the brain like we used to think. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And serotonin is an important um, element in depression as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's one of our feel-good neurotransmitters. Um, it's highly implicated in migraines, not with everybody. Uh, Triptan is one of the, the most common medications for migraines are based on that serotonin pathway. Um, and so those work for a lot of people because serotonin is highly involved in migraine, but not for everybody. Sometimes it's something called dopamine, which is a different neurotransmitter that's not quite the same. So the, the triptans don't really work for someone with a dopamine imbalance, but we also know 
from the studies that there are dopamine issues going on with some people as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. take some digging. That yeah, that's really interesting. Does the the gut biome, I assume that plays a role and the my so, you know, not having any medical background, I'm just totally like armchair explaining this. Um but my understanding of the gut biome is that it's like the width of like a, fr- a fraction of the width of a hair and it lines the stomach. And so it's very uh, delicate or very, you know, very thin. And then if it is permeated, like if it's um, if there's any break or gap in it, then things from the gut will leak out and go into, I don't know, your bloodstream something like this? Yeah. So, um, so that's kind of the idea of leaky gut, right? I think of it of, um, it's supposed to be like a brick wall. Nothing gets through unless it goes through the portals that are built into that brick wall. But what we, what ends up happening, uh, as a result of, you know, just the, the toxicity that we live in, how our food is grown, the pesticides and herbicides that are being used on our food products that actually breaks down that brick wall. So then we start having chunks taken out and instead of a brick wall, it looks more like a chain link fence, right? And so then food particles Mm -hmm. and things are just kind of getting through all willy nilly and your immune system isn't set up to to handle not completely digested food. So what it does, our immune system that is lining that gut, uh, the, the inside of that gut wall starts to come in and attack it, right? And that's where we start getting antibodies against various common foods that we shouldn't be having antibodies against because it's getting, the proteins are getting through not fully broken down. And so it's a product of, you know, how, how are the, the inflammation relating to our gut that's allowing these food pieces in causing an overactive immune system, causing inflammation. So there's this big negative cycle. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. Okay. Thank you for that. So one, one area that I'm very interested in talking to you about, we've talked a lot about the the body and the physical makeup of the body. Um, but you also see spirituality as playing a role in chronic pain. So can you go into that a little bit? Sure. So um, I actually have done a lot of looking into, so I'm a huge science nerd, right? But I'm also a very spiritual person. I'm a Christian. And um, so that is a very important piece of my life and my journey personally. And so I started looking into the science behind how religion or spirituality um, plays a role in our health. And there is a ton of research. In fact, just yesterday, I was doing some digging into there was this huge meta study done of over 3000. They reviewed 3000 different studies um, on the role of spirituality and healthy spiritual practices in our health. And the overwhelming number showed I mean, I, ha- I have my list here. There were so many things that I had to write down. I can't remember them all. So we know that it affects, you know, anxiety, depression, mood. Um, we know that overall happiness levels are higher, but it also positively infects our uh, decreases substance abuse, increases social interaction, increases our desire for exercise and physical activity, increases our desire for healthier diet. It decreases blood pressure, decreases stroke risk, increases lifespan, decreases dementia. I mean, I literally have a list that I can keep going down. And these are all studies that have been done that have shown how people who engage in regular spiritual practices are exhibiting these health benefits as a result. So this is a huge thing. This is becoming much more important to me than it ever had been in the past as I'm starting to really understand how 
you know, when we're looking at an integrative approach, we're mind, body, spirit, right? We know our emotions impact our physical health. We know spirituality impacts our emotions and our physical health as well. So we can't treat one of the three areas if we really want to see true and long-lasting healing happening. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. I, it is interesting because Western society in particular does seem to, you know, we like you mentioned that you're a Christian. So it's like, that's kind of something that you just do in your own time, sort of in, you know, your own community that you've, but it's not something that like is reinforced in the media typically, you know, or right. um, in your social interactions necessarily outside of those that you've built through, you know, I mean, it's church, almost taboo, like right? To talk about somebody's spirituality and beliefs. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we've kind of got like such a, uh, a belief structure in our society where it's like whatever is through the five senses, that is societally what we all agree on as our foundation. Now, there are other societies like in the East where they also accept that there's a spiritual component. We all come from source. We all have a spirit. And so that it's hard for us to even comprehend, I think, if you've never experienced a society like that, that it exists because you just, you grow up in what you grow up in and it's like, oh yeah, it's okay if you believe, but you're not going to have that reinforced at school or, um, you know, on, on TV or whatever in the news, you know, they're not going to be talking about your spirit. It's all going to be material stuff. Right. Um, and so that extends for sure into the medical. I mean, from a mainstream perspective in mm-hmm. your med- your doctor more, I mean, it would be unusual for your doctor in mainstream in the masses to talk about spirit and the role that the soul takes in your healing. Um, and so it's, it's, important for us to understand and to accept like, Hey, you're a complex being that includes a soul. So how does that play into your healing? Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's fascinating to have those studies and to, to kind of drive that point home. Is there anything sort of practically that you see in your work that helps with, with managing chronic pain in terms of like connecting with your spiritual side or anything like that? Yeah. Um, I real quick, I want to kind of touch back on what you said about, um, about that kind of taboo and, um, you know, that, that holds very true through medicine, I think as well. Um, one of the, there was a a study that I came across that showed that 87% of, uh, several thousand people that were polled, 87% of them wished or wanted their doctor to talk to them about their spiritual beliefs and practices. Um, Because, you know, I think intuitively we all understand like that's an important piece to our lives. Um, And, you know, of course, not everybody I've, I've talked to some people about it and they absolutely not. That's not the doctor's place. And that's okay. If you're not Mm -hmm. comfortable talking about it, nobody is going to be forcing anybody to be talking about something they don't want to. But ideally, you know, the, the relationship between the doctor patient is one of trust and um, of openness, right? The more open you are with your doctor about your symptoms, how you're feeling, how, how life is going, what's going on in your life, the better they can help you and they because they understand the context of what your symptoms are appearing as. 
And so um, I just think that it's really important to start, you know, just kind of putting that in the back of your mind. Like, how does me talking, like, what does this look like? Because I can almost guarantee you, you're not going to be asked that question by your doctor. You're going to have to bring it up. And that's how I practiced when I was in primary care. I never approached it. Like I never asked my patients about it, which if I were to go back to primary care, it absolutely would be on my intake form. Now I understand the value and how important this really is. So I think it's up to us as patients to approach the subject because once it's broached by the patient, then the doctor is hopefully more likely to be open to discussing it. But, you know, again, there's that taboo line. So nobody wants to cross it and ask a question that might be deemed inappropriate. And so then, you know, so I just like to kind of throw that out there. So people just are thinking about it and say, you know what, I loved when my patients would talk to me and we would sit there and have theological discussions sometimes, right? Like it's just fun to connect on that level with a patient. It's just totally different. So anyway, that was a little bit of a tangent. Um, Yeah, I love it. But your, um, so your question was kind of how practically this applies. So what, one of the things that I teach my clients is, um, is meditation, Um, becoming more aware and more in our bodies. We're super good at just kind of ignoring what our bodies are telling us, right? Because we've got all these things on our list that we have to do and we just power through and then we are exhausted by the end of the day. And if we start kind of tuning into what our bodies are telling us, then we can change how our bodies respond to the stress through the day, which is extremely important in chronic pain in general, in migraines in particular. And, um, and so when we're talking about practical application of this, meditation has been shown to help lower levels of pain uh, and levels of cortisol release. So interestingly, they broke it down into meditation versus non-meditation. And then they broke the meditation piece into spiritual versus secular. So secular being, you know, the sun feels good on my skin. I can feel the air coming through my body, right? Those are secular like feelings, it has nothing to do with spirituality. And then there was the spiritual meditations where someone was engaged in prayer or a spiritual mantra, or they were reciting a Bible verse to themselves or whatever it is that they're focused on. But it was, you know, a spiritual aspect. And those people actually had better outcomes with the meditation than the secular meditation does. So very clearly, again, that spiritual piece comes through. So, you know, whatever your beliefs, whatever you like to do, I love doing kind of prayer meditations where you're just sitting, you're being present in your body, and then you're just praying. Uh, Some people really like the mantra one where they're focused on a a verse from their particular book of choice, whether that be the Bible or the Quran or the Torah or whatever, and that they're just sitting there kind of meditating on a particular verse. What does this mean? You know, having it speak to you kind of thing. Um, So any of those kinds of practices can be very, very helpful. And I've actually had multiple clients tell me that they were able to breathe or meditate themselves out of a migraine. Uh, And so this is hugely powerful medicine that we don't use. Now, of course, it's not going to solve everything, but the more we can get into that practice, and and I encourage it as a daily practice, then the more we see that those pain levels are impacted, our stress uh, response goes down, the hormones start balancing better, we start feeling better overall, more energy, we sleep better. I mean, we really start to see a lot of these things come forward, but it has to be a very intentional, habitual practice that we're starting to engage in, not just, oh, you know, I I remembered to do it today and four days later, oh, I should probably do this again. You know, like it's got to be something that we're really intentionally doing every day. 
Yeah. Thank you for that. I love the scientific approach that you have to it and the, the data that you have behind it. I have on my website, uh, caragoodwin.com, I have a just right there on the homepage, um, a few sections down, there's like a video. Um, and I made the video, I think like four days after I burned my face accidentally with a curling iron. Mm-hmm. And the minute that, and, and I have, am a habitual meditator, you know, so it, like you say, it takes dedication. Um, but, you know, I have developed this consistent practice and I'm very in touch with my consciousness and the magic that's within the consciousness and just how powerful it is. And so as soon as it happened, I brought all of my awareness to it. Uh, you know, a lot of times we are, we experience pain and we move away from it and it's like, Oh, anything to distract myself from it. And it was Mm -hmm. like, Nope, everything is going right to where I just hurt myself. And I didn't do anything physical. I mean, I didn't even like put water on it or anything. Um, I, you know, like a lot of times they say run it under cold water. I didn't do anything. Literally all I did was bring awareness to it, bring, and just imagine light flooding it, bathing like all the cells that were damaged um, in this light and some geometric uh, visualizations as well. And I, the pain was really, really manageable. You know, it did, I mean, there was a physical response. It did get red, um, but I, I dedicated time to just focusing on that and being very, very aware of it. So I didn't go into a meditation. I did it kind of on the fly. Mm-hmm. But um, and then, you know, just like all burns over time, like as the hours went by, I could keep feeling it. There was a lot of heat there. Um, and so anytime I would notice it, I would again bring all my awareness to it, flood it, just um, intend healing light, you know, going in. And I have burned myself before many times, like on my arms and things like that. And it's always developed into a blister and it's taken and then a scab and it's taken a long time to heal and it may weep and um, all these things. Like I'm familiar with what a curling iron burn can do. And then I had done this on my face, which is really delicate skin. And it ri- I did get a little bit of like a superficial scab, but it really wasn't that bad. And I continued to just simply work with consciousness. And, you know, again, like over the course of its healing, I wasn't applying anything, even homeopathic stuff or, or essential oils or anything. And then I made a video after a few days, just kind of chronicling what I had done, um, and, and did the video so that, you know, they could see what it was. And as soon as I made the video, the rest of the scab fell off and I have no mark, nothing. Um, And it was really, really powerful, uh, a really powerful indicator of what consciousness can do and what our awareness can do, what our intention can do, and the capabilities that we have within us to heal. Absolutely. You know, that it's not outside ourselves. You know, we can, we have this ability to call it in and, um, so I just, but I, I talk about that from like the, the spiritual and consciousness side. And then I love what you bring in as far as the studies and what like scientific research there is about what these benefits are from practices and, 
you know, so there are very, very powerful, practical results out of a, a devoted uh, meditation practice for sure. Yeah, I was surprised at, and uh, as I was kind of looking through all of the material, the the amount of research on the physical and the spiritual um, has kind of grown exponentially over the last ten or fifteen years. I mean, they were they were combing the the research from like the early, I think it was the early seventies up until just recently. Um, I think it was two thousand fifteen when when it was published. And, you know, they, they were saying how there was more than half of the research was done in the last, you know, 15 years of that entire span. So I think we're, we're from a scientific standpoint, we're becoming much more aware of how this is. And, and every article that I personally read through, um, which was nowhere near thousands, but every single one of them that had studied the effects of spirituality on physical, um, physical health all suggested, you know, this should be incorporated into uh, a clinician's intake. Every single one of them, this should be, you know, asking about the the patient's spiritual beliefs and and habits should be incorporated as part of the intake. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you can find a huge body of research that supports that across every single article, that's pretty overwhelming evidence that, you know, this is significant. Uh This should not be ignored. Right. Yeah. Thank you for that. So I was surprised to see the online, the online course resources that you have for helping people to, um, to overcome their migraines. And I would think that you'd need treatment over education, just mainstream, like Western thinking, like you need treatment and education sort of like, if you want to dive into it, you can, but it's kind of like your, your approach is here is a course to help you to be able to overcome it. So tell, tell us about that, like the, the courses and the education and, and how that plays into the, the healing. Sure. Thanks for asking. Um, there it, kind of what we do is a little bit of both. Um, we walk a fine line being an online, you know, we're considered health coaches, so we can't actually treat people. But we oh, still okay. can help them to review the um, their lab work and kind of give them guidelines. So, you know, there's there's just so much that is outside of the conventional um, acceptable standards when it comes to migraine specifically, right? We have research that shows that thyroid lab levels should be a different range for normal than the typical person um, because they found that even within on the lower end of the normal range for thyroid function, um, they found an, an association with increased migraines and increased frequency and intensity, right? So, you know, unless you're looking at some of this through the lens of a, of a person specifically with migraines, we're missing a huge chunk of information. And so while the, the conventional approach might say, oh, well, your labs are fine. And then I take a look at it or my team looks at it and like, your labs are actually not fine for a migraine or your lab should be between this and this and we need to work on getting this up. So we definitely work closely with their home medical providers if there's any need for prescriptions or things like that. So there still is some treatment involved, but a lot of it really is just about education around our bodies and how it works together. So we do we call them the eight major focus areas, right? So we have diet and gut health. Um, That's one of the first things we dive into, finding a healthy diet for the individual. It's not just a one size fits all. Some people need a low histamine diet. Some people need a high carb diet. Some people need a low fat diet. It just depends on their body makeup. And so we help them to kind of determine what type of diet is going to be best for them. 
but generally we need an anti-inflammatory diet no matter who we are, right? And so there's education around some of the things that can be triggering for people with migraines, some of which people know, um, many of them don't know the nuances of how we can actually use food as medicine for ourselves, right? So if we know, for example, through lab work, that this person has a problem with dopamine and serotonin, then here are the foods that help to support dopamine and serotonin. Let's change our diet a little bit to start getting what we need from our food so we don't have to sit there and take medications or supplements. Like ideally, we wouldn't be on supplements either, right? We could get everything through food. So we really kind of work on tailoring that to the individual. We take a look at their lab work, um, basic blood work, as well as um, salivary and urinary testing for hormones, uh, cortisol, adrenal function, and neurotransmitters. So fairly comprehensive picture from a biochemistry standpoint. And then a lot of it is about the person paying attention to their body. And their bo our body gives us so many symptoms, so much information that we just don't know how to put it all together. And so when we start to understand the patterns that are emerging and how this different symptoms, my gut symptoms and my hormone symptoms play a role into my migraine symptoms, when we look at it from a whole person perspective like that, then we can actually start to see some of those common patterns emerging. And we know, okay, these are these are issue areas for you um, based on how our hormones interact with our neurotransmitters that interact with our different inflammatory processes, right? So it's very, very complex and it can be very overwhelming. So we really just help our clients sort through all of that information as they're kind of feeding us the patterns and the things that they're noticing that are triggers for them um, and things that are helping them. And those are all clues as to where their body's out of balance. And when we really start to focus nutrition, um, supplements, herbs that can be supportive, then we actually start seeing the body healing and they, it, it, our body wants to heal. But we live in a in such a way, just generally speaking, in this in this society, we live in such a way that is counterproductive to healing. Right, our high stress, we don't sleep very well. We have all this five G stuff now that, again, research is showing is interfering with sleep patterns and all kinds of different things. So we're starting to see, you know, we're fighting against that. We're fighting against how our our food is raised. Um, and so, you know, as we're kind of working through all of these different pieces and putting them all together for the, it's it's. There's some things that everybody should go through, and then there are the specific things for you as an individual that needs to be tailored. And you need both pieces in order to really see that that healing. And we're having our average client, by the time they're done working with us, has reduced their migraines by over 90%. So it's very, very That's effective. A, yeah. And, and empowering, too. It is. That's, I think that's yeah. the biggest thing is the lack of control you feel you have when you don't want to do anything because you're not sure what's going to trigger versus now I know what's going to trigger. So, you know, I have control over my life and I can make the choice of whether I'm going to engage in that or not. Um, and, or they know when their vulnerable time is right. Cause a lot of us are more vulnerable around period uh, hormone changes and things. So then we know, okay, we need to kind of be mellow during this week. This is going to be kind of our down week our recouping. Maybe we spend a lot of time in meditation or prayer and then we kind of move through the rest of our month, right? So um, it does give you so much more control. And that is just such a, a liberating thing when you've been under its control for so long. Yeah, beautifully said. Thank you. So I'm curious about ocular migraines. You and I were speaking before we started recording. Does the, Do ocular migraines fit in with your work? 
Yeah. So again, um, it's just a different presentation, right? Vestibular migraines, ocular migraines, um, some of the less common, less standard migraine diagnoses. They're all they're all different. Um, what do I say? They're they're just different ways of a body expressing an imbalance, right? And so, okay. yeah, so ocular migraines can be treated the same way. The vestibular migraines can be treated the same way. There's a few, a few little things that are different, more common with those types of migraine as opposed to just kind of the, the standard, um, you know, pain and, and nausea, light sensitivity, things like that. Um, but yeah, okay. it, it can all be addressed that way. That's really interesting. And just in case there is anybody listening who's not familiar with the word you know, ocular migraine would be more of a visual, you're having a visual impairment or addition, <laughs> some sort of visual stimulation. I was, what would be, what was the other one? The, the one with the V? Vestibular. Vestibular. So that's where you get really, really dizzy. Yeah. Oh, dizzy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I have a personal history with ocular migraines, um, and which was one of the reasons I was so drawn to your work. Um, and I have not had them for years really, but, um, in my, I remember my early twenties, like the very first one, I just had this obstruction in my vision that was followed by searing pain in my head. Like I could, I was, it was so fascinating because I could see something in my peripheral vision and it wouldn't go away. Like if my eyes were open or closed, it was there and I couldn't look directly at it because everywhere I looked, it was always in my peripheral and then after a few hours of dealing with that, because that's weird, you start to feel like, what is this, a brain tumor or yeah. something? Because it's just like, it's not in the physical. Very alarming. Um, yeah. And then I was getting like searing pain in my head. I was at work and I remember like talking to somebody and I like the pain was, it came so fast and so intense that I, I had to like grab my head and I was like, ah, you know, while I'm talking to this colleague, like, oh my God, I must look like somebody I didn't know very well. <laughs> but but um, so I went to my eye doctor uh, because I had no idea what this was. And he was like, yep, this is a migraine. And I'm like, a migraine? Like, I thought that was just, you know, like a, a bad headache. And of course, again, like I had the, the, the pain, but that was kind of like, it would flare up and then it'd go and it'd mm. flare up and it would go. Um, but it was more the visual. Um, and then I would just have them off and on for years. Um, but you know, I'd go a long period of time and not have them. And sometimes there was pain and sometimes there wasn't like, they were always kind of different. And then in, um, 2016, I thought I was having an ocular migraine because I was seeing things in my peripheral, but whereas all the migraines I'd had before, it it would last for a few hours. And then like, it would be gone the next day or it'd be gone later in the day. This went on for weeks and it was Mm. different things. Like I was seeing like checkerboard patterns with that were circles, but they were like checkerboards and they were rotating and, Mm. and then like, but, but very like specific checkerboard kind of things. And whereas in the other migraines, there weren't specific like shapes or colors or, you know, and then it would change because it went on for so long. It wasn't always the same thing, but there was always something in my vision. And so I ended up going to the hospital mm-hmm. um, and having it checked out because I was um, living in Italy and uh, it was, you know, I was like, I have no idea what's going on. And I didn't really have like 
the medical system there while I was there as an expat was just different. But I wanted to rule out something super serious. And I had a friend whose husband was an, uh, an eye doctor in the hospital. And so he helped me out. But they put it down to my macula, mm. which is a part of the eye. And, it, and they insisted that I had had a virus and that um, and they were like, this virus has these like kind of specific symptoms. And it was based on a study with like six people or something, six or eight people or something like that. And they're like, it's very rare mm. it's to do with your macula. Um, and you must have forgotten that you had this virus that had these symptoms, you know, that, and you, you would have, or that your children had it and you were exposed to it. And, and like, it just didn't add up. Um, and then it wasn't until like last year that I, I realized it was part of my spiritual awakening because of the way that it was lining up with other things happening in my life. Um, and I wonder if it was like different parts of my brain, like specifically the pineal gland that was like changing or coming online or, or something. Um, and I don't know, I don't know. I, it, it's very mysterious because it was so physical in, I'm putting that in quotes. Um, you know, I was having, like, I could see it and I would, I remember like trying to tell my good friends, like. Yeah, if I okay, look at that hill. Like you see the hill. So just to the right of that, there's a checkerboard circle that's spinning. <laughs> you know, and she's like, no. Yeah, and I'm like, I know it's not there, but I can see it. You know, um, so I don't know. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. I don't. I don't really have like a an eloquent question, but I just wonder if you've if you've heard about things like this or like a conjunction with sort of a spiritual awakening type of thing or anything like that. I, you know, when I, when I first was on the the path to medical school, I was very, show me the science. Like I want to see this. I want to see the proof. Uh, and then naturopathic medicine is very much a combination of science-based and keeping an open mind. And as I've, mm -hmm. as I've gone through training and practice, I've come to understand that we know so little about how the body works and we know even less so about the things that we can't measure are, you know, the connection that we have to other people and, you know, some of the, the energy um, that, you know, we all interact energetically as well, right? We know that our bodies produce energy, like that is physically, you know, we've measured that before. Um but I think there's just so much that we don't know about the spirituality part um, that I've, you know, I hear stories like this and I'm like, yeah, if that's what you think is happening, you probably are right. You know, I've come to really uh, understand that we intuitively know more about our bodies than anybody will ever, ever understand. And we just have to trust that intuition and we need, we need more doctors who are open to taking in the, um, the observations and the intuition of our patients, because I can't tell you how many times I've been stumped on something and sure I can come up with a BS reason for something. Right. But then my question is always, what do you think? And, you know, sometimes they look at me like, what do I think? I don't know. You're the doctor, but it's like, well, no, really. like, what do you, do you have any kind of like feeling about what might be going on? And nine times out of 10, they'd say, well, you know, I don't know why, but I feel like X, Y, or Z. 
okay, let's explore that a little bit more. And sure enough, that was, you know, a part of what was going on. So I've really come to, to respect that, you know, what, if you think that that was part of that spiritual awakening, I bet you that's what it was. You know, I bet you it was a physical manifestation. There's no proof on any of it, nor will I think we ever have proof, but I think that's a part of our spiritual journey, right? Is having that faith and understanding that there is something bigger than us and being okay with knowing that we're not ever going to know all the answers until it's too late for us to really care about them. I think, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well said. That's what's so funny is that this was like right on the edge of when it was starting. So it was like looking back, it would, it predated really like the things really kicking in to where like, because I've gone through a big transformation over the years. And this was like right on the precipice. Like I had no idea that of what was about to happen in my life that that triggered the uh, the subsequent awakening, you know, I mean, really, because there were like, there were things that happened in my life in a series of events where it was like, okay, I have to, you know, like, like stuff just got real, you know, it was like, <laughs> I was on the playground. And then it was like, Oh, I am. Oh, I need to get my PhD now, you know, and <laughs> And meditation was a huge, huge part of that um, and a huge transformational tool. But it, when all this was happening, it was like right when it was just about to happen. And so I, I guess I offer this because if people are drawn toward this particular episode, then they probably have, there, there's a good chance that they're dealing with migraines. So they may hear something in that where it's like, oh, I have no idea why, what might be behind this. And it's very mysterious. And uh, it doesn't, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's just very similar to mine. Like I know what an ocular migraine is. This is what I would say that this is, but there's no pain and it's going on way longer than I thought. And, you know, there's no brain tumor and there's, you know, apparently there's the doctor, you know, out of lack of options is going with the macula. And that also doesn't seem to make sense because there's this missing like virus piece to it. Um, And so maybe it's like, huh, you know, it could be something that in retrospect fits, you know, that we just don't have 360 sight to at the moment, Uh, but it could be something bigger that's awakening within us. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do a, um, a Bible study every, every other week, every other Saturday for chronic pain. Um, and, you know, and, and, and fellow Christians who are stuck in that cycle of chronic pain and, you know, the, this, the very real struggle and anger and frustration that comes with that. And specifically a lot of people that are angry at God, why did you give this to me? And, you know, I, I won't lie. I had that anger as well when I was having migraines or headaches, um, severe headaches. They weren't all migraines, but every day for almost a decade. And I got very angry. And it's like, why is this happening to me? Like, what, why, why me? Why this? Mm-hmm. And, but now looking back, you know, 20 years later, I understand because I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now if I hadn't gone through it myself and understood how little options there are if the medications don't work for you. And I, you know, luckily I already felt drawn to medicine. So I was able to go to to med school and and that was a passion for me. And now, you know, now I have a passion of helping women with migraine um, because I, 
I've been through it myself. I understand where they're coming from. And so I definitely think that, you know, God can use our experiences, our pain um, to help minister to others in whatever way that looks like. And to me, that's, that's my calling now. That's what I'm doing. Um, so now I'm thankful yeah. for the decade of pain that I went through, you know, it wasn't at the time yeah. for sure, but looking back, you know, you have yeah. the, the benefit of hindsight and, and seeing the pieces starting to come together, but we don't always get that benefit. Yeah. yeah that's so beautifully said. I mean, so I, I, there, I can't think of anybody who has gone through a massive transformation who has not had it triggered by tragedy or trauma. Yeah. And, and so it's, it it is, it, it's, it's a beautiful way to use it, you know, to use it for service, you know, is an incredible way to repackage what we go through, you know? Have at least give some purpose to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Tanya, this has been amazing. Um, how can people find out more about you and your uh, your approach to migraine, uh, overcoming migraines? Yeah, so they can visit me on uh, on our website, migrainemastery.org. And then if they are specifically dealing with migraines and want to hear you know, some of the, the ways that we kind of approach things, I have a YouTube channel called um, Migraine Mastery and Migraine Free Life uh, and that has just a bunch of different videos on things that we kind of address more specifically. Um, and then we also have a free Facebook group called Migraine Mastery um, um, and my migraine support group as well. Oh, beautiful. I'll put all of those links in the show notes and uh, so people can find you. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really beautiful discussion. And thank you for everything you're doing to serve women with migraines. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'd love for you to do me one quick favor, which is to think of one person who would benefit from hearing this content. Let them know you're thinking of them by sharing this episode with them right now. Thank you, and I look forward to the next meditation conversation.